This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. to Primal Screen, a show all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. A big thank you to Phoebe for the last three hours of MAPS. I'm Flick Ford and joining me in the studio is Cerise Howard. Hi, Cerise. Hi, Flick. Nice to be back. Yeah. So tonight, for tonight's show, we are spotlighting LGBTQI plus cinema and queer film criticism. So later tonight, we're going to be chatting with the co-founder, editor and programmer of Sissy Screens, Tali Polichuk. Um, But first, we're on the cusp of Melbourne Queer Film Festival, which is starting this Thursday and is going to be running until November 29. The festival is, it's a mix of online and and in-cinema screenings at Cinema Nova, um, Jam Factory and Acme. And MQFF is really a showcase of um, the best LGBTQI plus films that are designed to educate, entertain and and to celebrate diversity. And joining us to help unpack this wonderful selection of films is the program director of MQFF, Spiro Economopoulos. Hi, Spiro. Welcome to Primal Screen. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's our pleasure. So before we tuck into the program, um, can you tell us a bit about how MQFF first got started? Well, you know, this is obviously our 31st year as a a film festival and, uh, you know, had sort of very humble beginnings kind of in the sort of background of, you know, hares and hyenas and was actually like a side sort of event at Midsummer initially until it kind of branched out and sort of started on its own. And, just so you've got a bit of a context on how old it was, I think back then the I think it was the Melbourne Queer Film and Video Festival. Oh, wow. so, uh, and I feel like and I feel like we're we're sort of almost become so full circle that we could potentially bring video back again at this point because of, uh, <laughs> was the word <laughs> queer even a part of the the no, name originally? No, it, it wasn't. It was the Melbourne Gay and Lesbian yeah. Film and Video Festival, and I think. Um, we were probably one of the first festivals to adopt the word queer in our in our title, so it was kind of really interesting that we we sort of did that. Yeah, absolutely. I had no idea of that, and I thought I knew a lot about MQFF, but there you go. <laughs> um, and like one of the, I suppose one of the primary aims of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival is is to give a voice to the underrepresented um, mm-hmm. and to to showcase very unique perspectives. Um, I'm just curious, you know, as program director, how does this translate 
to programming the festival? Like, is it difficult to reach that balance between fostering diversity but also presenting a really cohesive program? It, it, look, it is. You know, I think we have. A, I, I think the our queer community is not a homogenous whole, as we all know. We're a very diverse bunch of people in terms of, you know, gender, sexuality, uh, culturally, um, politically, and so you're constantly trying to find the right balance to sort of service every element of that community. And it can be kind of really tricky sometimes, obviously, but you try and uh, do that alongside, you know, what's actually just available to you as well to be able to kind of program. So it's kind of a, a mixture of both. Mm, absolutely. I've had a bit of a deep dive into the program and I'm excited that Cerise is going to be taking us through some of your picks. For some, some of them. Yeah. But it does bear mentioning, does it not, Spira, that this isn't the first festival this year. No, it definitely does not bear mentioning. Like, we had a smaller festival in March and it was essentially, I think, the first one that we did uh, that was an in-person one uh, after our 2019 festival, I think it was. Uh, I can't remember now. 2020 festival, sorry, uh, went into, uh, you know, lockdown and was cancelled four days in. So it's been a bit of a journey, to be honest with you. And, you know, obviously, you know, Melbournians, you know, we're all slowly coming out of, you know, a very long lockdown and sort of getting used to sort of being back out there again has been a, has been quite a thing. And so, um, yeah, we've had two festivals this year. Um, this is obviously a big one and in actual fact will be our biggest one in terms of, you know, hopefully going to the end of it uh, since 2019. So, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And we've changed our date because we're generally in March and so this is in obviously November now. When you say it's the biggest festival since 2019, do you mean in terms of how many days it's running, how many films? Like how well, that... I think me, what I meant was technically, you know, the 2020 festival in March got cancelled four yeah. days in. So this is sort of really the first time we're back and I'll hopefully be able to, you know, I'm speaking, you know, ahead of term, but to deliver something right until the end, basically. Oh, so. surely, surely this surely. time. Yeah. yeah. It's not stopping now. We're not stopping it. We've been promised no more no more lockdowns. We're all, yeah. you know, yeah. double vaxxed surely. pretty much. Uh, yep. <laughs> and that, this means we can enjoy one another's company in physical spaces and shared communal spaces in the dark together once more. That's it. You know, and I think that's the key element of a, a queer film festival as well is that it is sort of about a community coming together to watch films in public. And I think together, and I think as fine as it was to be able to transition to watching stuff online and having, you know, that pivot, uh, at the end of the day just kind of isn't the same in a lot of ways. I think this, the Queer Film Festival has always been about all of us getting together and watching films together. I'm so glad you were able to to bring it to the cinemas because as much as it's wonderful having, yeah, the films online and, and for access reasons, that's wonderful. Um, but you're right, there is something where we've all been kind of cooped up and the thought of actually going to the cinema and being able to see these amazing films. And, like, it's so hard, I think, to even get hold of these films normally. So I think MQFF for me always represents that sense of being able to get access to these films that I might not even, may not even be on my radar, let alone um, available yeah. for me to stream or anything like that. So 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, it, and it's always interesting looking back at the previous festivals and kind of realizing how many of those films actually don't end up in streaming services or anywhere. And uh, I think a lot of the times, it's, these films, this is really your only opportunity to get to see them. Is that a big part of how you're selecting the films that are included in the program? Of of how. Um, I don't know, like trying to put a spotlight on these films but also choosing things that people wouldn't be aware of? It is an element of it. I mean, obviously you try and go for films that will have, you know, mainstream appeal for an audience and also films that, yeah, potentially you know might not get a, a forum sort of outside of the festival and, you know, hopefully, you know, they'll find some kind of life, um, you know, because we're getting films a lot of times that have just been at festivals and, you know, they haven't being picked up by distributors or anything like that. So, and we are living in a very different climate now in terms of LGBTIQ plus representation, where there is a lot of stories on, you know, Netflix and Stand and, you know, that feature prominent queer characters. And I think what the festival can do is actually just show you the breadth of that diversity and kind of dig in deeper and find, you know, the deeper stories that we can tell. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, well, there's um, there are certain tropes in queer cinema that become familiar over time, but the more countries that become productive in this area, the more we get different spins on some of those familiar stories, as well, of course, as some outrightly new stories completely. But yeah, um, and and often this is strongest I find in, in the documentary realm. Having having just watched just before coming here tonight, watched the the Georgian film Instructions for Survival. Yeah, you know, uh, a truly uh, harrowing um, experience, very yeah. moving, um, and an incredibly brave piece of filmmaking for yeah, all concerned. Uh, this is not the sort of film that's going to pop up on Netflix. No, and I think also it's a story that people might be a little bit sort of shocked, you know, like nerve. I wouldn't say nervous about seeing, but you know, these are really important stories, and sometimes you know, at a festival, you need to be kind of, you need to be able to showcase these kind of stories against, you know, ones that are really, you know, light and fun and, you know, Instructions for Survival is a really important story. And and I think ultimately as hard as some of it is, it, it it offers a little bit of hope. And you are reminded of the absolute bravery of these characters um, and these people that have allowed you into their lives. And, you know, for example, the you know, the way we've publicised the film, we've been very mindful that we can't show their faces in any of our marketing. And there's mm. something that was very clear to us when we were approached by the filmmakers and the company in terms of how we're selling that film. So you forget that there are places around the world where LGBTIQ safety and you know is, is not something, you know, that shouldn't we take it for granted, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's really, really healthy for us to be reminded of privileges. I mean, yes, uh, we've, we've won certain gains here over the years and can be reasonably comfortable as queer folk in society here, but um, it's, it's, we, we do need those reality checks, I feel, here, and also to, to, um, to, to remove from ourselves the idea that, oh, we've seen it all already, we've, we've, <laughs> we've come to a safe place ourselves, but we, we do kind of need to know how our fellow queers are travelling abroad, do we not? 
Yeah, that's it. The fight's definitely not over yet, and there are a lot of places where, yeah, those rights are. Um, we don't. They don't have the same rights that we do, and it's kind of important to be able to tell those stories. And I feel like those stories sort of play out quite a bit throughout the festival. I think there's specifically there's a real sort of focus on LGBTIQ refugees, for example, and it's a theme that you know starts from our opening night movie, really, and sort of plays out through other elements in the festival. And you're opening the festival with the animated film Flea. Um, I think that, yeah, like you were saying, Cerise, it's so interesting how the festival really demonstrates the power of film to engage with politics because I suppose a big part of people coming together to watch these films is um, both personal but also political. And I think being able to be in the cinema will mean people having to have those conversations post-screening, which is always my favourite part of the festival. <laughs> it's certainly a favourite part of mine too. Mm. Throw on a beverage. Um, I'm a generally happy camper. Or two. Yeah. <laughs> or two. Um, but Spiro, before, after, after, later in the show, we're going to be getting Cerise's picks, but I'm really curious, what films are you most excited about? For MQF. Oh, wow. It's always hard, you know, like picking favourites from your children. But, yeah. uh, you know, look, I've got to say I'm, I'm super proud of and excited about Flea and people just um, seeing Flea for opening night. It is a really sensational film, actually. I absolutely adored it. There's another fantastic film from Austria called Great Freedom, which I just really loved. Um, and another really excellent film called Nico from Germany, um, which I thought is, is really excellent. And, uh, Another fave is a French film, which is completely the other spectrum, called Anaïs in Love, which is from France. And, you know, it's just got this real lightness of air about it and very joyful and just just so lovely. I, I really adored that film. And you've got a couple of retrospective picks in the program. Do you want to talk about what, what yeah. why them, why those ones, why now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's the 90s. The 90s are hot right now. Uh, obviously, we're showing Beautiful Thing and the incredibly true adventures of two girls in love. And I think, you know, 90s queer cinema actually was a really insignificant and important time because I think that was the, the real birth of the queer new wave as well. And we saw a real, I guess, a real energised kind of queer film scene and a lot of, you know, queer film festivals kind of coming out of that as well. And I think uh, it was, you know, these two particular films, one, one's a new restoration, so we thought that was really great to showcase and one was having an anniversary. We thought now's the time, you know, now's the time to focus on these films. And the curation of the festival is exactly giving that kind of um Education, not only into queer culture, but also cinema's role in in kind of bringing to either representing it on screen, but also prompting and being in conversation with um, changing politics and and viewpoints. Um, yeah, it's uh, look, it's a very exciting program, and I um, I still have um, <laughs> got lots of um, things that tickets that I can see are selling fast, which stressed me out slightly. So you must be very excited about that happening. Um, if you've just tuned in, um, we've been speaking with Spiro Economopoulos, uh, who is the program director of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, which is kicking off this Thursday. Uh, for our listeners, if you want more information about the festival or you want to book some tickets like myself, <laughs> you can head to mqff.com.au. Spiro, it's always a pleasure to have you on Primal Screen. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. I, I, I love the show actually, so I was actually quite excited to be on it. So oh. oh, it's our pleasure. Uh, you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. <laughs> 
吃饭啦。You're listening to Primal Screen with Cerise Howard and myself, Flick Ford. And at the start of tonight's show, we spoke with the program director of MQFF, Spiro Economba.、Oh, I knew I'd do this. <laughs> Sorry, Spiro. Economopolis. Thank you, Cerise. That's why we have you on the show. <laughs> Much better than me.、Um, Um, and we talked to Spiro about how the festival got started and and kind of what to watch out for. And we're going to keep Spiro on the line because Cerise and I are going to take a deeper dive into the MQF program、um, with this kind of special curation we're prepared. So get your pens and pencils out. I was about to say pen and paper out. Falling over myself tonight. Let's let's kick off. With a Mexican film that has been described as one of the most beautiful films of the year, it is Horatio Alacala's Finlandia,、uh, which is set in this small town of Mexico, and it's about a group of transgender and non-binary people who make a living out of、um, sewing and looking after their elders.、Um, Cerise, have you seen this one already? I have. Yes, I have. It's not about Finland. Don't be fooled,、oh. people. Not really. Though Finland does uh, uh, does uh, exist within this film's narrative universe as a sort of mythical other world,、right. where one of the、uh, the key characters has, notionally at least, has a um, um, uh, their enamorato is over there,、mm. far far afield, far flung from. This rather humble village life, where the mushes—this is the name of the particular、uh, indigenous transgender people—there's、uh, a long tradition of, of a third, at least a third gender in many indigenous cultures、mm. around the world, and that goes for Central and South American folks as it does South Pacific folk. And,、mm. um, and yet, much as they're understood to have a place in society, it's not necessarily an altogether Um, calm and safe and peaceful and respected society,、uh, place in society. They have a, a challenging lot in life. There are certain roles that are perhaps afforded to them here.、Um, the the mulches are especially active in fashion, though they don't see it as fashion. It's simply making clothes for the, their people.、Mm. Now there is this curious. Subplot really、um, in the film about a fashion house in Europe ready to exploit、um, the the locals. They have no idea that it's trans folk making these designs. They just cynically see an opportunity to、um, to make a mint by、uh, stealing the designs from whoever it is who makes them. And to that end, a young, ambitious woman is sent to Mexico to. To photograph and and document、um, designs in order to rip them off and make a mint on the the、uh, high fashion circuit of Europe, exploiting people elsewhere as well. It might be added、um, in Bangladesh. I think is is、mm. the name is dropped. So it, there's、yeah. a large political dimension to this narrative, but much of the action actually takes place on the ground in Mexico,、uh, in this particular village. Uh, in an area which I struggle to pronounce, so I don't have all the pronunciations down, Patrick. <laughs> I'll have you know, but it is、uh, a gorgeous place. The the colours are vibrant, not just the designs of the clothes, but the 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 housing, the the air, the the geography is is gorgeous, and 
some aspects of this film feel very grounded in reality, but then there's a, a magic realist mm. dimension that perhaps hints at the shamanic role uh, third gender people have often had in these sorts of cultures. Um, and I don't really wish to say too much more about how that is manifest, but it's it's pretty interesting. Is it not, Spiro? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, actually. I think, I think the thing that really grabbed me about the film as well is that, I mean, obviously... You know, I've been watching a lot of things on my laptop and at home and my TV and you come across something like Finlandia and you can just see a filmmaker at work in terms of playing with that frame and, uh, the, you know, the, the cinematic form and it's really beautiful. And uh, I actually was really fascinated by that idea as well of the fashion industry exploiting uh, those particular cultures in terms of like appropriating styles and clothes. And I think that kind of added another really interesting layer to the story that I just actually wasn't expecting. But I think it's um, it's really beautiful. Yeah, you've both kind of touched upon the, I don't know, it's quite visually arresting. I've only watched the trailer just to get a taster. And same as you, Spiro, I was watching on a little laptop and I still was really drawn into this world. I'm I'm definitely adding it to my list. And for listeners who want to add it to theirs, it's going to be playing at Acme on Tuesday the 23rd of November. Now from Mexico to Germany uh, for Instructions for Survival? Georgia. Georgia, sorry, my bad. Georgia. Um, this is the winner of the Teddy Jury Award, uh, the Berlin International Film Festival. Uh, what can you tell us about instructions for survival? Well, you're right that there is a German connection, mm. um, but the, act, the... It, it, it really is about Georgia. But oh, it seems that right. the director may have been German, even though okay. that name, looking at it, looks decidedly Georgian. Uh, Jana Ukredil. Mm, mm, see, I'll just pass on that one for the moment. We'll edit it out later. Yeah, we'll let, yeah, we'll, or we'll edit it into the podcast. That's <laughs> <laughs> just my bad eyesight, that's all. I would, I would surely be able to wrap my tongue around it. Um, yeah, we were discussing this a little just before, but this is a, a documentary about um, a trans man and uh, um, a relationship he is in, which is you know neither he nor the relationship he's in or basically anything about his existence there is tolerated by Georgian society. And, and the film opens with footage of, uh, I think this is really recent footage, of a yeah. mob scene. Um, I think it was a pride rally in Georgia that was basically disrupted by, um, you know, it, it looks like it wasn't going to fall all that far short of being a lynch mob. It's mm-hmm. The scenes are ugly. Mm-hmm. Um and it's you know captured in on phones. The the image is smallish on screen. Then the rest of the film after that. That's you know just setting the scene. This is Georgia today. Mm. Welcome, welcome. Um, and then yeah, we we hone in on this this one. Uh, I'm not quite sure just how old he is, but he's been um, eking out a pretty hard scrabble life. He he can't get employment. He can't get. Uh, a, identity papers to match his gender he can't therefore get a passport Mm. so his his whole life is extremely circumscribed by the fact that his very identity isn't recognized by any um, anything from the government down to just everyday um, society which means every day he has to lie Mm. and just get by and it's stressful mm. and yet there are people he still has he has some people who care for him deeply and we we get to 
you know, meet his partner and uh, a sort of a chosen family, you could say. And they're, um, you know, it's really heartwarming the bond they have, but they have to resort to some fairly desperate means in order to try to um, eke out something of a better life for themselves. And this is extraordinarily brave filmmaking. Watching it the entire time, I'm thinking this film is probably going to end in one of two ways, um, very badly or with some degree of hope. And, of course, I shan't say how it's going to, to uh, unfold, but um, it's it's stressful but necessary viewing, I feel, mm. and and a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, how did you find it, Spiro? Yeah, look, I, I, I had the same reaction to it when I saw it, and I was really kind of moved by... Uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of uh, trust, I think, for, um, you know, people that have been asked to make these documentaries, particularly trust with the filmmakers, to be led into their lives, and particularly if it means potentially putting their lives in uh, some sort of peril as well. Mm. But I think uh, that generosity that the subject matters have in allowing that the people into their story, I think is really beautiful and, and quite moving, actually. And I, and I think uh, uh, it gives you a glimpse into this relationship he has, uh, that Alexander has with his wife, Mari, as well, and their sort of journey to try and seek asylum into Belgium, actually. And, and as I was mentioning before, this is a, a theme that kind of plays out quite a bit throughout the festival. And, uh, yeah, I, I find it really um, quite incredible how you can... Um, tell these stories when you're potentially, you know, endangering the, the subject matters as well. But I think the story, it, without giving too much away, is actually kind of hopeful. And I think it has moments for, you know, I think genuine love and compassion. You particularly get a real sense as a real beautiful relationship and loving bond between um, these two people as well. And I think mm. the humanity of it is something that actually overrides a lot of the very stressful moments in it. Hearing you both talk about instructions for survival, it actually reminds me a lot of the documentary Welcome to Chechnya Mm -hmm. um, and the use of of deep fake technology to kind of be able to protect those people where there isn't any protection really. And it's interesting that you both touched upon the courage of these stories in coming forward and, and, and the concerns you have around being able to not be, sorry, not being able to put their faces on, you know, the advertising material for the MQFF and things like that. It's really interesting though, the navigation there of um, personal identity. Um, If you are interested in seeing instructions for survival, it is going to be playing on Sunday, the 28th of November at Cinema Nova. Um, The next two films are actually films that we have spoken about on primal screen before firstly the hill where lionesses roar and i have to be honest the description of this film alone has me um hooked three young free-spirited women decide to escape their daily lives and form a gang (laughs) had me at hello (laughs) yeah totally and look this is a film that played at miff earlier in the year it is written and directed by a 20-year-old 20 20 um, director, Luana Bajrama, Bajrami, um, who listeners may know as the servant Sophie in um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But she also has the honour of being the youngest female filmmaker who's been selected for the director's fortnight at Cannes. What a wonderful find, Spiro. Yeah, I just uh, – I totally love this film and uh, I – 
uh, was really excited by the perspective that this film kind of presented as well. And obviously, a massive fan of Portrait of a Lady on Fire as well. So I loved yes. that concern. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it's a it's kind of it's a really great story that kind of really leans into its crime genre element in a really interesting way that surprised me. You know, it surprised me in the best possible way. I was like, oh, this is actually like a it's like Goodfellas, but it's <laughs> <laughs> maybe not as violent as that. But I, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, well, um, the Hill where lionesses roar it will be played on the twentieth and twenty sixth of November. And the next film is The Nowhere Inn, which is another myth flick. Uh, It's a mockumentary featuring St. Vincent and Carrie Brownstein. I remember uh, you spoke about this on the show already earlier this year. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this film. Um, It's, uh, yeah, (laughs) I don't know how much to give away about this either. Um, No spoilers. No. uh, It is hard to (laughs) do a film review and not spoil (laughs) plot line. Yeah. I mean, um, Carrie Brownstein, St Vincent seem to be good pals. Perhaps they are in real life. One is going to make a documentary about life on the road with the other. Only problem is St Vincent appears to be very boring. Um, Something's (laughs) got to give. Um, (laughs) This is the best review I've heard. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's a a real capsule summary. I mean, things do... Uh, there are developments. Yes. Um, you know, St Vincent starts to, to realise that she might need to dig a little deeper into the personality that she seems to be able to summon on stage, perhaps into the backstage shenanigans that um, Carrie Brownstein is trying to capture for this documentary. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, things spiral a little. <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah. They to definitely put it do. Yeah. <laughs> so The Nowhere Inn is playing on the 21st and 24th of November. Uh, closing night film is going to be Fanny, The Right to Rock, which is actually being presented by Triple R. Um, Fanny, The Right to Rock is a rock doco. Do we call it a rockumentary? A Rocco. A Rocco. Sure. Uh, which chronicles the story of the pioneering Filipina America, American female rock band Fanny. Uh, the documentary captures the band's reunion uh, for after almost, I think it's 45 years apart um, and kind of covers how they navigate uh, the challenges of um, sexuality, race, uh, gender and ageism in uh, a rather hostile music industry. Another fave, I'm, I'm like... Definitely going to be buying a ticket to this one. Oh, I love this. Mm. It's, um, there's such a spate of great documentaries lately about uh, under-celebrated or neglected uh, musical pioneers uh, in various fields and whether it was, say, Sisters with Transistors recently about women electronic musicians mm. or the Sparks documentary bringing yes. to light their amazing contribution to pop. Yeah. Um, here is a, a band that, very few people have known about uh, for years and years. So they clearly did make a dent at the time in the early 70s and they existed prior to that as well, but they they released four or five albums in in quick succession Mm. apparently. I'd never heard their music before. This documentary got me acquainted with them and I'm so grateful for it because uh, they were extraordinary. What a a blessing that there is archival footage of them in their heyday. uh, as well as that so many could rally together to bring this film to fruition in very recent times because there's a, a lovely and quite actually surprising roster of guests um, 
testi- testifying to uh, the importance of this band. Mm. Uh, and the absent David Bowie plays a central role yeah. as well. <laughs> yes. Um, but if you've just tuned in, we have been speaking with Spiro and Cerise with their picks for MQFF. So I hope you got some hot tips there. If you'd like to book in your tickets, you can head to mqff.com.au. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. So for tonight's show, we're we're spotlighting LGBTQIA plus cinema and the way in which film is not simply uh, just an act of representation, but it's also a key element in building and sustaining community. And one of my favourite sources of intelligent and engaging film criticism about queer screen culture is Sissy Screens. So Sissy Screens is a not-for-profit platform and it champions queer cinema. It features videos, essays, photography, and plus they do screenings and events. And joining us is the co-founder, editor and programmer of Sissy Screens, Tali Polachuk. Hi, Tali. Welcome to Primal Screen. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So, Tali, I first learnt of Sissy Screens via Instagram a few years ago and I've been a very avid follower since then. Uh, for listeners who haven't heard of Sissy Screens, what is it and, and what do you do? Sure. Well, Sissy Screens is a digital magazine dedicated to queer screen culture. So, as you mentioned, um, we uh, you know feature interviews with queer filmmakers, um, have short and long-form criticism, articles, photography, and also um, feature high-quality original moving image works. Um, We're produced entirely by LGBTQIA plus creatives um, and, yeah, um, launched officially early last year just before the apocalypse hit, which has presented some hurdles, especially with film production and the event program but we're um, definitely making up for lost time now. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's kind of amazing with the timing, isn't it, (laughs) how that happens. Um, But you're the co-founder of Sissy Screen, so I'm curious to know what the impetus for creating this project was and and kind of how did you get it all started? Um, Sure. So um, as I mentioned, we launched it early last year. Um, I kind of started it with um, my partner, Alex Cardi, who's an award-winning cinematographer, which is why all the moving image works look so beautiful. They really uh, do. And- Actually, your whole website. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Oh, well, Amazing. Also, big ups to our um, creative director, Anne-Marie Johnson, who is an absolute, he's amazing. That's why everything looks so good as well. So, um <laughs> Very lucky to have started with um, with those two. Um, we've since expanded our team quite considerably. Um, and, yeah, we um, really just wanted to have a platform that showed, like, interesting, nuanced queer content. Um, I also kind of come from a bit of a publishing background, so um, for me it's important to have access to, you know, really good film criticism um, and also um, feature um, original moving image work. So it was just a way of kind of combining all our passions and all our interests in one um, and, yeah, kind of um, taking it even further forward, I guess, with engaging with our communities um, via events, which we uh, now get to go back to actually having in real life and in person. <laughs> yeah, but I think that as a platform you did really an, an exceptional job in being able to I suppose just like really, um, what do I want to say? Like I feel like 
I mean, I suppose I most of my interaction with sissy screens was on Instagram. So I feel like it kind of lured me in. And I, I mean, I'm a film academic. And so I feel like some of the stuff I wouldn't necessarily want to read in my off time, but it was so engaging in the articles that you had. And I think having just a completely fresh perspective and having that voice on the scene, um, I think is really powerful and being people being able to share it really easily. And because you've got that really striking visual imagery with the the um, the um, Instagram page, but also your website, and and being able to use the original video work, um, it all kind of comes together with um, sort of almost doing the best, despite the fact you did start in what we're now terming the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, thank you very much. Um, you know, as I said, we've got a really great team. Um, we have amazing writers. We have amazing filmmakers, um, all kinds of contributors. So it really, it's very easy to kind of um, be able to produce, you know, this kind of publication because there are so many talented people out there um, who have interesting perspectives and opinions and I think really kind of um, represent really the breadth of, you know, um, kind of our LGBTQIA plus communities. Um, so, um, yeah, as I said, it's an, it's an absolute honour to actually get to, you know, commission these artists, um, run this publication and also connect with audiences. And I think um, people have been really hungry for this kind of, yeah, for, for this kind of content. So, um, yeah, it's been really great. One of the things that stands out to me about some of the films that are analysed on CC screens is that they aren't specifically queer films and it's kind of more so that there's a queer reading of these texts. Um, for listeners who may not have heard that phrasing before, can you explain what exactly a queer reading of a film is and, and kind of what it might offer the spectator? Sure. I mean, I think queer viewers are kind of used to feasting on scraps. Um, <laughs> um, I know things have changed a lot, obviously, kind of in the media landscape, um, probably over the past decade. But I mean, when I was growing up, there wasn't a heap of, um, you know, queer re- representation at all, really, on screen. And you sort of have to find a point of identification and make of it what you will. So um, I think there's a bit of a tradition of, you know, reading against the grain, um, you know, in, when, when it comes to all kinds of media, um, I kind of took this um, idea and transported it to an event. Um, my favourite thing that we've run so far has actually been an event called SMART, um, which we ran um, as part of Midsummer Festival with Footscray Community Arts Centre as well, um, which is really a, a queer erotic fan fiction salon. And the pairings and real, yeah, the, the, the stories that kind of came out of that real testament to, you know, the, the power of the queer imagination to really, you know, find some some point um, of identification kind of within, you know, these very kind of straight heteronormative stories. So um, I think it's a bit of fun um, and I think it's just a way that queer audiences kind of naturally engage with all kinds of content. Mm. And um, Sissy Screens has got an event in MQFF this year. You've partnered with them to for the event Queer Fusion, which is going to be uh, a discussion with yourself um, and artists such as um, Amrita Hepi, uh, Atong Atem and Kitty Crystal. And you're going to be talking all about um, creative collaborations and artistic practices. Um, I saw that after the discussion, there's going to be a screening of the Sissy Screens created animated short, Are You Still Watching? Can you tell us a bit more about this short film? Yes, I'd love to. Um, I um, co-directed it, um, so I'm very excited to finally see it in front of an audience because it's already it's 
been in competition in like honestly almost 30 festivals um was meant to screen at MIF. of course that never <laughs> happened so yeah. I'm, I'm very excited but um basically it's a short animation which um follows this character jamie who's a 20-something non-binary person who's stuck in lockdown in Melbourne and starts having these sexual delusions about queer characters that they their favourite TV and um, shows and films. So um, it's a bit of fun. It's really beautiful. Um, but, yeah, as I said, it's done incredibly well. Um, but I haven't gotten the chance to see it on the big screen yet. Oh, so very um, exciting. And I'm particularly excited because we'll have all our crew and most of our cast there as well. So it's kind of it's going to be a chance, um, you know, two years later to actually celebrate this film. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we've got a few other things up our sleeve for um, the event. So in addition to the panel, uh, we've also got Queer Pacifica rapper July who's going to be doing um, a set, um, which we're really excited for, um, DJs, the kind of whole thing. So we're just kind of looking to have a little bit of a celebration um, especially after coming off, you know, out of this lockdown, I think we all deserve it. And yeah, be a good chance to just catch up and also talk about all the films you've seen and what you've kind of got to be watching at MQFF. So yeah, we're all really excited. And Queer Fusion is going to be held on Sunday, 21st of November. Um, finally, if listeners want to know more about Sissy Screens and want to check out some essays or some screenings or events, where should they head to? Um, yes, please head to our website, so sissyscreens.com. Uh, you can also find us kind of all, all Instagram, Facebook, or Metaverse, whatever you want to call it. Sissy <laughs> um, Screens. Um, but subscribe and you will get all the information about all the events that we've got coming up. We've got some really great collaborations coming up with the Wheeler Center to early next year, the Jewish International Film Festival, more with the Square Community Arts Centre. So um, we're going to be busy and we're going to be everywhere. Um, so, yeah, please have a read, subscribe, like us on, follow us on Instagram. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I second that. Um, if you've just tuned in, we've been speaking with the co-founder, editor and programmer of Sissy Screens, Tali Polichuk. Uh, Tali, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, as Tali said, you can head to sissyscreens.com and if you want to book a ticket to Queer F- Fusion, head to mqff.com.au. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 